Boy, what a, uh, a great response uh, of song and truth in light of what's taken place over this last week. Um, what a week, huh? It, uh, the sad events of Vegas um, have just made this a very heavy-hearted week. And uh, it's interesting, the uh, big and rightful question that continues to be asked uh, as the week goes on is why? Why? Um, And with that question, there's a whole number of other questions that are going on in our world. Why do people plot such wicked things? Why does it seem like the nations just are in this constant state of fits of rage? With that said... um, I would just like to note how incredibly timely and relevant God's word is, okay? Because before any of these events ever took place, today was Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 begins with, and open your Bibles there, why do the nations rage and why do the peoples plot in vain? And... uh, Here, the writer of Psalm 2, some 2,500 to 4,000 years ago, is writing about something that is exactly relevant to today. I want to tell you, friends, God's word is so amazing. And it's sometimes viewed as like, this is this old, antique, dusty book. And I am telling you, God's word is awesome and awesomely relevant with what is going on. Um, And in fact, it is going to help us see what we need to see in light of everything that's taking on, and that is that faith sees. Let me say that again. God's word today is going to help us see what we need to see, and that is that faith sees. So there's a tendency, I think, with faith to think of it as like this invisible, immaterial, like unattachable kind of a thing. It's like this floaty thing that faith is. It's kind of like this wimpy, whimpering kind of a crutch at times that it's viewed at, but uh, that's not the case at all. Um, I will note that Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's true there are things that are not seen, but that is not saying that faith is blind, and that is not saying that faith does not see. Faith does see. Romans 1, uh, it says that God has revealed himself. It says, for what can be known about God is made plain. For God has shown himself. His eternal power, his divine nature, they have been clearly shown in the things that have been made. So all are without excuse. And Psalm 2 is kind of like a Romans 1. Psalm 2 calls us to take a look around and take a look at what's going on. Look. Don't be blind. Look what's going on and then take it to God and ask the questions there. And let's see what God has to say. And let's see who God is and what's going on. And that's what faith does. Faith sees. Uh, before we dive in, two tweets from this last week. I think were pretty relevant. Uh, someone had tweeted a quote by A.W. Tozer, fits with Psalm 2. He said, uh, while it looks like things are out of control Behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. It might look like it, 
but God has not surrendered his authority. And then on Tuesday, Erwin Lutzer said, it's not necessary to see the big picture as long as we believe that God has one. By the way, I love that. Let me say that again. It's not necessary to see the big picture as long as we believe that God has one. Faith sees. And that's what Psalm 2 is going to take us to uh, today. So Psalm 2, we're there, uh, just left of center of your Bible. Uh, Psalm 1, last Sunday, speaks of the imperativeness of the individual to settle it with the Lord. And here in Psalm 2, I'm kind of calling it, uh, it speaks of we live in a broken world and therefore faith must see what is going on. Uh, By the way, look at the very first words of Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman. We talked about that last Sunday. Blessed is plural. It's, oh, the blessedness is uh, of the man, the woman. Uh, Later in the chapter we talked last Sunday, who is in the congregation of the righteous. Oh, blessedness is, oh, happiness is. It starts out, the book of Psalms starts out that way. How cool is that? By the way, look at the very end of Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's the same thing. Psalm 1 begins with it. Psalm 2 finishes with this blessedness thing. Oh, the blessedness is our all that take refuge of him. But actually that raises a question. Because if we are blessed in the fact of being redeemed in the congregation of the righteous, why do we need to take refuge? If we are blessed for being in as redeemed individuals in Christ, why do we need to take refuge in him? That implies something. Psalm 2 is going to answer that. Psalm 2 is going to answer that. I would just say it this way. Because we live in an angry, bitter, at war with God world. That's why. That's why. Well, Psalm 2. Here we go. Verses 1 through 3, why do? Verses 4 through 9, he who... Sounds like a Dr. Seuss riddle, doesn't it? Verses 10 through 12, now therefore, right out of the text, verses 1 through 3, why do, why why does the world, or it says the world acts, the world speaks, then he who the Lord acts, the Lord speaks, and then uh, we conclude with some things on what we're to do about that. So let's start out with why do, why do. The world acts, the world speaks, verses 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Let's dive into this. What are the actions of the world? What does the unredeemed world do? Well, number one, the nations, they rage They rage out of the English Standard Version. I love the way that is. New International Version says conspire. Conspire just kind of sounds like a little bit later here in one of them. It's just too much. It's not nasty enough, to be honest about it, with the Hebrew behind it. New American Standard Bible says uh, in an uproar. I would say it's more of like in a tumultuous uproar. The nations are in a rage. True? I mean, it's like, what the deal? Why can't everybody just get along? But this has been the way thousands and thousands of years ago in the time of the psalmist, and that is the same thing today. The nation's rage. That's just like at the core of it. That's what happens in a sin-cursed world. Nations rage. Second, the people's plot. 
This is so interesting. They plot in vain. They plot in, in vanity. By the way, this just isn't everybody else. This is people in kind of in general. I think the text is clearly talking about, about those kind of building off of Psalm 1, that those are unredeemed in Christ. But I'll tell you, there's a nature in us where we all plot. And we all plot in vain for our own self thing, right? So often, why do we do what we do? We often sometimes do what we do because we just want what we want. And we're just, by nature, because of sin, we're vain people. And the people's plot in vain. It's interesting. Uh, uh, the word for the Hebrew for, for plot is the same word or from the same set of word that is, applies to Psalm chapter 1 verse 2. Meditate. Remember that last Sunday? Meditate on God's word day and night. It's being preoccupied with it. This is the same idea. The peoples are preoccupied with themselves. They, they plot in vain. Third, the kings, they set themselves. They set themselves. Uh, New International or New American Standard says they take their stand. NIV says they rise up. It's, it's kind of like the kings. This is just building off of itself and just showing how broad this is. And so the kings, they just set themselves. Uh, they stand themselves. They rise up. And then the rulers, they take counsel together. New International Version, they band together. I like that. For what? Look at the text. They, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together to do what? Against who? You tell me. Isn't that interesting? I thought they band together against nation against nation. Well, maybe functionally from our standpoint they do, but at the heart of the core of the spiritual reality of the issue is, is this is what's going on. The nations, the peoples, the kings, and the rulers, they, 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 they rage together, they plot together, they, they set themselves, they counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is going to be spelled out here in just a second. It's really such an interesting, interesting text. By the way, might I say, especially if you were here a few years ago, this is so the book of Revelation right here. This is so the book of Revelation. We had that broken out. See Jesus, see the war, see the victory. And the nations and the peoples just rage against. They are preoccupied to plot in vain against. They they, they take their stand and they set themselves against. And they take counsel together against. Why? Why? It's a good question, and it's interesting here because it tells what they say, and it's in the saying we know why. And they say, verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I like how the New International Version says it. It says, let us break their chains and show up, throw off their shackles. Wait, what's being talked about here? Another way to say this is that the nations... And the unredeemed peoples and the kings and the rulers, what they say is, hey God, hey God the Father, hey God the Son, submission to you is bondage. Your sovereignty is restrictive. Your will is demeaning and we want self-rule. That's what's really going on. Do understand What's happening in our world is not just a horizontal problem. It is a vertical problem. That's how God sees it. 
the horizontal issues that are happening are happening because of vertical issues going on. And this is where, uh, by the way, and may we not get too arrogant in this, because I actually think this is the kind of thing that we say when we just want to do our own thing against our God for even the redeemed in it. It's like, wait, submission to you is bondage. I don't want to submit to you, Lord. I want to do my own thing. We all know that, don't we? Your sovereignty is restrictive. God, because I can't wrap my brain around it, because I can't explain it, because I can't fully define it out and explain it all out, therefore you're, you're being restrictive in everything. And by the way, your will is just demeaning. I want self rule. I want to do what I want to do. And that is at the very heart of the core of every human being. And that is going on every day. And even might I suggest that that is the exact same kind of thing that Satan whispered in Eve's ear. Eve, God's holding out on you. There's actually something better, something more that he's holding back from you. He doesn't really want to give you his fullness. That's the exact same thing that Satan did when he was like doing the game with Jesus uh, after 40 days of fasting. Satan's like, hey, I'll give you all this. You fool. Colossians 1, he's the one who created it all. And yet in it, it's like, come, come on. And by the way, it just happens regularly for you and me. And here in the text, I think the text of Psalm 2 is so honest and so real. It's just like, look around to the world and see it. Just see what is happening and why is all the rage going on and why all the wicked plotting. Why would anyone do what this wicked man did? Because at the heart of the matter, mankind is set against God. They band against the Lord. And our world is at war with God. And faith sees that. It understands that. That's why things happen even like what happened in Vegas. Why do? Now it goes from them to he who. He who sits in the heavens. Watch this. The Lord acts, the Lord speaks. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath, And terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. By the way, let's just hold there and some comments. Notice that God the Father's posture is sitting. He's not pacing. He's not nervous. He doesn't have his head in his hands, confused and flabbergasted and feeling like, oh my word, I missed that one. The Lord sits. Notice the location. He sits in the heavens. 
That just right there tells you it's like um, I'm higher than you, doesn't it? Just that alone. He, he sits and he sits in the heavens. And, and God the Father is noted as doing four things here. And the first one is just in some ways awesome and in some ways hard to grab a hold of. It's almost offensive in certain ways. But he sits and he laughs. Friends, God is not phased at all by the war going on in this world. He's not scared. He's not nervous. He sits and he laughs. By the way, the laugh here, this is not an aloof laugh. It's a laugh of someone that has been offended. It's offended at absurd rebellion against his authority. I mean, it's the kind of thing where mankind just thinks he's so smart and so powerful and so in charge and so in control and so big and God sits and he just laughs at that. I mean, we, we all know the reality of it where, you know, you, you have a little kid, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a parent. I mean, we've all been around kids and the little kid just is throwing a hiss fit. It's like, I, I don't want to do what you want me to do. Your will is demeaning. Got me? And your hand is on his forehead. We'll say it's a boy. (laughs) And they're just like going crazy. You don't, you don't, you don't understand me. Why are you making me? Boy, that's annoying, isn't it? And his hand is like there. And even as adults in that situation, we just sit there and we go, Really, dude? Seriously? You really think I'm that dumb? You really don't think I like have a little bit more on you? Really? Go ahead and throw your fit, you little brat. And God laughs. It's not like a laugh to where it's like insulting. He laughs at the hissy fit that is being thrown by the arrogance and the pride of thinking that we, that mankind, have the right to be able to out-understand, out-know, and challenge God. And the truth of the matter is, is I thank God that he laughs in that situation because of what's about to be said. Because within that laugh is grace. And friends, this is what is going on. He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. I want to tell you, you can already feel within you. Isn't sometimes there's part of this where it's like, holy moly, that, that's, like, that's like almost harsher. That, that, that's like hard. But, but think about what's going on. The creature is demanding of the creator. Are you kidding me? And I'll just say this so much for this sappy, soft, wimpy view of God like he's some divine dope. Instead, this is like John in Revelation 1, seeing the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. And he falls face down thinking he's going to die. Because he's in the presence of that one. And that is one that is redeemed in Christ. 
And the hope of it is, is Christ puts his right hand on his shoulder. But when the nations rage in arrogance and wickedness, loved ones, this is no game. And we do not live in Disneyland. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and then look at the text, and he holds them in derision. It's kind of a hard word to translate. I'm just going to call it, he scoffs. God laughs and scoffs at those who are basically giving it back to the Lord. Like, Lord, you can just shove it. I want to do my thing. And the Lord laughs and the Lord scoffs back. How interesting in this, by the way, the word that is pulled out there has a tie to Psalm 1. I do understand that the Psalms are independent Psalms. They're not building off of each other. But I'm telling you, friends, these early Psalms, I think they are put here for a purpose because they set the tone for what goes on in the rest of the Psalms. And in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about those who are scoffers. And those who are scoffers, those who are sinners, those who are unredeemed in Christ. Listen, God scoffs right back. It's just, I think, the best illustration I could come up with is the one with the little kid. It's like, seriously, dude, seriously, just go ahead and throw your fit. Because right now, I could take your life. Parents, teachers? (laughs) No, never thought that. And the idea here is that These are not just loud scoffers. These are even quiet from the heart scoffers. So even the person who's like, yeah, I'm not like in the nations. I'm not the loud, boisterous against God. But in our heart, at times, it can be that. And the person that in their heart is a scoffer. And just know this. God laughs and God scoffs. And God is not shaken by your arrogance. Hang on, because we'll see here in just a little bit. The love comes out. But if we don't see this, we don't understand the reality. And faith sees reality. He sits in the heaven and laughs and scoffs. And notice this, this is grace just poured into this. And he will speak. It is so important that you understand this is future tense. It's not saying that he is speaking. It is saying that he will speak. He will speak to the unredeemed in his wrath. But in this point in time, he is withholding his full wrath. Thank God. Thank God for that. He will speak, and then forth, and he will terrify them in his fury. His present laughter will eventually turn to wrath and fury. And we are living in that time to where the Lord is enduring the arrogance and the plotting and the self-ruling and the kings and the queens of the world that are just giving it right back to God. And God in his grace is enduring that. But know this, faith understands that one time, one day, at one point in time, he will speak and his wrath will come. And faith sees this. 
illustration. The movie Gladiator. (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix is uh, the emperor. And man, is that one creepy dude. Amazing acting. But it's real, so he's the emperor. And he's arrogant, and he's false self-assured, and he's so outwardly impressed with himself, but man, he also just knows he has these dark things in him. And the story moves along, and Maximus Decimus Meridius, the Spaniard, shows up for the first time in the Colosseum. And there he is with his cohorts there, and everyone's expecting them just to get crushed and to die. And they win. And um, the emperor wants to go meet this leader of this cohort that, that beat all of these guys, and so he goes out. Long story short, he asks Spaniard for his name, and he says, my name is Gladiator. And uh, the emperor calls him slave. Isn't that interesting? Demands that he remove his helmet, declare who he is. So he does. And he reveals, and uh, in with what he says, he says, I will have my vengeance. And in that clip, there is utter fear and terror on the emperor. The emperor who has all authority and power and in that day was viewed as a divinity, small g, God. And terror sets in. Fast forward. They later meet again in the Colosseum. Gladiator wins the battle over their brought out of retirement, uh, Peyton Manning. (laughs) Gladiator wins. And so the emperor comes down, they meet eye to eye, and he just says some of the most disgusting things to the gladiator, scoffing at him. And there's a reply. Let's watch. That, as humanly best as I can try and represent it, is Psalm 2. The time for honoring yourself will come to an end. I love that movie. <laughs> it's so biblical. Verse 6, the Lord says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I just want to note in this, we haven't finished the rest of the text, we will hear soon, but I want to notice this in it, that um, the Lord has the last say. 
in the psalm. The Lord's the one that has the last say. And I also want to note in this that God the Father does not actually point out to who he is. See, if I was God the Father, (laughs) that's kind of odd. I would say, let's go, dude. Let's take it up. But God the Father doesn't point to himself. He points to the one he has set as king. This is such a, the Trinity, so much in this. And he talks about the one who he has set as king. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Zion. Mount Zion is the highest of the hills upon which Jerusalem, the capital, was built. It was the stronghold that David took from the Jebusites in 2 Samuel 5. Davis says of Mount Zion, he says, uh, it, it was a puny 11-acre piece of real estate on the southeastern ridge of Jerusalem. Yahweh plants his kingdom there, and it will become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. Uh, but he begins his visible kingdom in this world on a tiny banana-shaped hill in a, in a provincial backwater called Judah. God plants his kingdom in weakness, but because God plants it, it will prove undefeatable. God's kingdom may look pretty flimsy planted in little Zion, but God has planted his kingdom there, and there it will stay, and no one can do anything about it. 1 Peter 2 says, The living stone was rejected by men. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling, of rock of offense. In verse 6, the I in Hebrew is emphatic. It is saying, I myself, I myself, by the way, note the tense, I have. It's not I will, it's not I may, it's I have. I have installed, I have enthroned my king, which, by the way, is the anointed one of verse 2. I have installed him on Zion, my holy hill. I just want to tell you, friends, what gets me about this in this busted up, messed up world that looks like this is going to hell. There is a God who has it. And we may say, but I don't like what you're doing. How is it that you can allow things like that to happen, God? I mean, come on, if you loved us, you would do that. And may I revert back to the illustration of us throwing a hissy fit. And thinking that our understanding is far superior than his. Be careful, loved ones. Ask the questions, but be careful. God sits and laughs and scoffs and he will speak his wrath and he will terrify. And I will just say this, praise the Lord for that. Doug, why would you be so happy about that? Listen, this dude that did this thing in Vegas, 
I just want to tell you, after taking his life, is it not true that we are alike? He deserves wrath. This week I read through and prayed through the family and the friends of all 58 who were killed. And you read about these dear people. And this was hell unleashed on them. And there are things I can't explain about it. I can't answer why God would allow that. I can't answer that. But I know that he can. And if I can't leave it there, then I make myself deity. As though God has to answer to me. Beware. And in fact, that's really fitting because of what's about to come. The identity of the one who is set. Verse 7 through 9, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is literally the anointed one. If you were, I just don't have the time here. If you look at the text, this is now God the Son speaking. I will tell of the decree that Yahweh said to me. This is God the Son saying what God the Father said. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So many things. I will just note this. At Jesus' baptism, uh, uh, verse 7 is referred to here. In Acts 13.33, it's, it's this terminology of you are my son, I have begotten you is used in referring to Christ as the resurrected Christ. And And the Father has promised the Son complete victory over the nations. And one day he will reign over the kingdoms of the world. And he will bring and redeem all of this mess. But I will just say this. I am so grateful on a certain path, part of this that God allows things to continue because God is so big that he will even use what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And God's grace continues to allow for people to fall and to come to him. By the way, verse 9, the piece is like a potter's vessel. Ancient eastern kings, before they would go to war, would break a pot, a clay pot. And that was like symbolizing those that they were going to battle with. And they would take it and they would smash it. And it's like, that is who we are going to battle with. And in their mindset, the gods were going to empower them to be able to do that. But know this. The son is the one who is the power that breaks the vessels. He is the one. He doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need any other small, puny, little G-gods. He is the Lord. And he will. And he will. If it ended there, there's part of this that would be without hope. But we finish now, therefore. Now, therefore. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Faith sees five fitting responses in light of what's been said in Psalm 2. Number one, be wise. 
It's a call to be wise. Oh, kings, be wise. And might I say, we want to be our own kings and queens. This is the kind of thing to be wise. Just stop, look around, see what is going on, and hear what God has to say, and search who God is. Be wise. Ask the real questions of life. Be wise. Second, be warned. Rulers, be warned. Friends, this is not all there is. Thank the Lord. Be warned that there comes a face-to-face with God. And it cannot be avoided. Doug, I think all of this is a joke. Doug, I think all of this is silly. Doug, I think you're being rude right now. Um, Doug, I just, good for you, not for me. You know what? Here's one of the amazing things. The Lord allows you to make that choice. The Lord allows a person to make that choice. And so as we look at the text here, I also just have to say, coming from here, coming from what God's word has to say, be warned. Because you are also taking a great risk in that. And I don't want that to happen to anyone. You have the opportunity to make the choice. Be wise, be warned. Grace is offered Grace is offered, but one day he will speak. Third, serve Yahweh with fear. By the way, you read this fear. This is not be scared to death. You could get that idea from the, the, the heaviness of the Psalm 2 here in it. But it's actually coming out of this idea of awe. Fear has that sense of, you know, John falling face down in Revelation 1 thinking he's going to die, but fear also has this idea of awe, and I think it's clearly here in this. This is the kind of idea that when we come to understand who the Lord is and what is going on and the fact that we get to serve the Lord. Are you kidding me? No, this, guys. We get to serve the Lord. And so when we talk around here about worship, walk, and work, the work is serving. Listen, we don't talk about that because we got like things to do and things to get done for my bidding or for our structural kind of thing. This, is, this should be coming out of the heart of who we are. We should be a people that love to serve Yahweh. And we get to do it with awe and magnificence. And it's like, are you kidding me? We get to serve God. That's the heart of what's happening. Be wise, be warned. And yet in this, serve the Lord and it ties with the next thing. Rejoice. Rejoice with trembling. Again, it's not this rejoice and cowering fear. It's this rejoice and this idea of, (laughs) are you kidding me? This is so exciting. I just literally tremble and the goosebumps pop up. I'm just so out on this singing that is like, a funeral. I'm so out on this whole thing of viewing God as like this bummer. 
I am just so out on the fact if I can go to a Colts game and get more excited about what's happening at a Colts game if they score a touchdown. Uh, Unfortunately, there has been a whole lot of them. If I get more excited about that than I get excited about being able to be redeemed in the Lord, I have an understanding problem. My faith does not see. And yet when we see the catastrophe and when we see the Christ, be wise, be warned, serve Yahweh with awe, rejoice with quaking joy. And this last one, this is awesome. Kiss the sun. Why would they say that? Because back in that day, when a nation was overtaken, the nation that the ruler of that nation when they were overtaken, or when they, even in that day, placed themselves willingly under the new king, that king would kiss this king as a representation of, I am now in submission to you. Your glory is the front glory. And the kiss of the son, as the text is talking about, is referencing that. New Testament, this is when a person comes and sees that they are broken and a sinner separated from God. And they see that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, and offers salvation. Psalm chapter 1, the opportunity to be covered by Christ, to be part of the congregation of the righteous, as totally unrighteous as I and as we are. And in that, we are called to receive Christ. To, 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 uh, we cannot earn it, Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved through faith, when faith sees it, and faith receives the gift that God has given done, that's kissing the sun. And that is placing self under the new king, who is this king. And if you have never done that, if you have never come to that place where you've come to realize that your kingness, that your queenness is nothing in compared to this kingness, it's time to kiss the sun. And there then, Serve with awe and rejoice with joyful quaking. Man, I've needed these two psalms. In the last sentence, blessed, plural. Oh, the blessednesses. Oh, the happinesses are all who... Just that terminology right there does not say everyone is. All who take refuge in him. Why does anybody need to take refuge in the Lord? Because faith understands we live in a very broken world that is at war with God. That's why we take refuge there. That's why we place ourselves there. 
That's why we put ourselves under that. We put ourselves under the king who is. And friends, in a week like this, where such outright, beyond understanding, wickedness happens, we should be asking questions. And we should be thinking. That's what people of wisdom will do. What is going on? And as I've already said, I cannot answer all the questions. But I do know the one who can. And all I can do and all we can do is kiss the sun. And trust in this that one day he is going to redeem this mess. And yet he has allowed it to continue by his grace that those could hear and could come and kiss the sun. And faith sees this. So what do we do in it? We're going to be going to Psalm 3 next time I'm with you. And... um, We'll put more to it. Let me just say this. Psalm 1, 2, and 3, I had no idea before diving into this how Psalm 1, 2, and 3 set up the whole rest of the Psalms. The whole set of the Psalms, I would now say it is about faith. It is about seeing people struggling in faith. Why, God? Where are you, God? That's real, right? You see, but Psalm 1 helps us set the tone that we understand that there are those that are redeemed in Christ because the Psalms are about, is about the, the psalmists who are writing from the standpoint of redeemed in relationship with the Lord. And they're having this conversation with the Lord and yet we see through the Psalms there's brokenness that's taking place and through all of the Psalms we see that then it, there's times of joy and yet there's times of hurt and, 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 and anger and frustration. And, and I'll tell you, Psalms 1, 2, and 3 just set it off. This is how the rest of the Psalms flood up. The characters are on the table. The data's on the table. The Savior's on the table. The information's on the table. Oh, let's just keep falling in, okay? Let's just keep falling into it. So, Lord, I just trust that uh, you might make sense out of all of this. That you would show yourself marvelous in the broken world we are re- residing in. You are in control. Sometimes that's hard to understand and put the pieces together and yet you say that you are and faith sees that and faith understands that and faith puts its hope there. And Father, I thank you that we have this time even in our own lives to be able to understand what is taking place and to be lights in a very dark place. And I would just ask God, help our faith and help us to see.
God, I also just want to pray for the families that this Sunday are just in unimaginable hurt as a result of the shooting in Vegas. Mothers, fathers, teens, singles, grandparents, Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? God, I pray you'd be near to them. You would love on them in a way that only you could, that you would show yourself. Savior would be glorified that those who don't know you would come to you. You are the Redeemer. You are the one that makes broken things whole. And we pray for them. God, I pray that we would be a people that take refuge in you rest in you that hunker down under who you are because what else do we have look around and see that the Lord has shown himself the Lord has revealed himself and we behold you and we set ourselves there in our questions in our struggles, in our working it all out. We can't see the big picture. But you are the God that has one. And so we set ourselves there. <clears throat>